0: Welcome to
1: Optimal Health Uncovered. We are a group of health and wellness professionals in the New York metropolitan area where our mission is to empower you to live better. From specific injuries to general fitness trends, diets to sleep habits, our group of specialists are dedicated to bringing you the latest evidence-based research on the topics that matter most. Welcome to this session of Optimal Health Uncovered.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. I'm Todd. And I'm Mike. And today we're joined by special guest, Jen Trepik. Hey. Here. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming up. All the way from New York City on a empty train.
1: I, I brave transit today. Oh, yeah. That's great. <laughs> Landmark <laughs> day. <laughs>
0: That was awesome. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming and joining us today.
1: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: Today we're going to talk about nutritional truths, myths, and fads. So a topic, uh, we've been talking, Mike and I've been talking about for a while, uh, bring in, you know, some nutritional discussions into the podcast material. Um, and thank God Zach connected us with you and we've listened to your podcast and, uh, we we thought that it'd be a, a great connection as far as, you know, what we're talking about optimal health and how you discuss the nutritional aspect around optimal health. So thanks for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I call myself an optimal health coach. So when I saw the name of your show, I was like, Absolutely, like we're speaking the same language. Perfect. So it was awesome.
0: awesome. Tell us a little bit uh, about yourself. How'd you get started in uh, coaching and little bit about your background and your interest and passion for nutrition.
1: Yeah. So my background is really business and marketing. I came to all of this through my own saga. I can't even call it a journey, you know, (laughs) uh, my own saga. I grew up the skinny one in a family of dieters, which was awesome until it wasn't right. That went away and didn't last forever, of course. And I then did what I saw my family do. I tried every diet under the sun. I did the whole yo-yo thing, gaining and losing and trying everything out there. And I was like, there has to be a better way. Like, this does not make sense. There were times where I felt like I would just breathe and gain weight. In that process, I learned about a program that I now teach. And at first I was like, no, 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 that's okay. Like, I've got my thing, you know? And then I saw people who were following this program and they First, I noticed that they were keeping the weight off. And the second thing I noticed was that they didn't look like people who had just lost a ton of weight. Like, I remember it vividly. This woman was telling her story of losing, like, 140, 150 pounds. And I'm looking at her, and I'm like, I don't see where 10 pounds could have been on you.
0: So she looked healthy.
1: Yeah. And, and like, that skin didn't hang, you know. It was amazing. And I was like, okay, get over yourself. There's something to this, you know. Yeah. And I followed the program myself. It completely changed my life. It is the only thing that's allowed me to say I've kicked my food issues. And so from then on, I set out on a mission to pay it forward and help people help themselves with this information because I I call it the nutrition education we're all supposed to know and no one ever taught us.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was life-changing. Like, And then I started reading every book I could get my hands on. I went to every seminar and workshop I have learned from – Doctors and probably every specialty, and you know, I just did recently a um, a whole week conference online about the Vegas nerve. You know, like I've become this insatiable student and take all of that and translate it into something that we can hopefully translate it into something that we can all relate to and
0: use. I think that's the, the, the big thing. How do you get people to relate? And you've got an experience you can speak to. Uh, which makes you more relatable, right? Mm -hmm. How long was the process now when you were bouncing around with the yo-yo diets and we all have friends and family members who've gone through this and currently living through it or have experienced it in the past. How long was that process for you?
1: Yeah. So let's see, I would say for real, like the gaining losing thing for me started around like 17, 18 between high school and college and then I found this program in 2007. So I have to do math now. Um, Mike, <laughs> so, we need you. Right. Um,
2: yeah, not, not my strong suit.
1: Right, yeah. So it was probably almost 20 years on either side, right? Like I'm in my late 30s. So it's it's been a life on both sides.
0: Now that process, once you made that transformation, what I've heard – and seen is staying and keeping the weight off and staying healthy. What's Mm -hmm. that journey been like for you and for clients that you've worked Mm -hmm. with?
1: I think the difference between what I do now and everything that I tried before is that this is effortless. Like I call it the objective is to become unconsciously competent where it doesn't require tons of effort and energy. This is just who we are and what we do and how we live. And that's what, you know, the ultimate goal of where we're headed and how it turns into for forever and for life and sustainable. And that means that there is room for birthdays and holidays and cookies. And, you know, like the idea that we're never going to eat those things again is just
0: silly. Yeah. I think the restriction versus just making it a way of life. And this is a healthy lifestyle choice. Doesn't mean you can't have days where you, you, you go out and get the ice cream and do that. But 90% of the time you're on, I think is exactly. What most people say
1: like we have Can the 80, 20 rule. Oh, sorry. Like we have the 80, 20 rule in business. It's the same thing in food and life and energy and exercise and all the things.
2: I was going to say, I think it starts with developing that healthy relationship with food. And and Jen, when you and I spoke over the phone, that's something we discussed. So where where do you start with clients there in terms of focusing on what to do and not what not to do and not having people feel bad about food and establishing that relationship?
1: Yeah. And it's a struggle for a lot of us. You know, we come to this with a whole history of, you know, using food for a lot of things other than hunger. And- in addition to that we also come with a whole history of things that we've been told are the right things to eat and the wrong things to eat so depending on someone's history it can be quite a bit of digging out <laughs> you know to to get to the point where we're removing those judgmental words around our food choices and i always start with this fundamental nutrition education and how we're choosing foods And how those foods impact our body, because a lot of times we don't realize that willpower is a finite resource. And the hormones that control hunger and satiety make it infinitely more challenging to make healthful choices if we're not eating to support proper levels of all of these things and proper response in the body. So it becomes this conundrum almost, (laughs) you know, like this perfect storm to try to make Those healthful choices every day. So I think the first piece is often laying that foundation of what we want to be eating, how to eat to balance blood sugar. So one of the things, if you guys are taking notes, write this down. It's one of my favorite phrases. I say it all the time. Protein and fiber at every meal makes removing fat no big deal. So protein is clean, lean protein. Fiber is vegetables and sometimes fruit. And a meal is really anytime we eat, the only difference between a meal and a snack is how much we have at a time. And when we eat that way and we're keeping our blood sugar balanced, then the next healthful choice is a lot easier to make because we're not battling or trying to climb Mount Everest, you know, against the hormones that are pushing us in one direction,
0: that's usually, you know, that piece right there is pretty informative, keeping the balance in the meal and the food choices and what, you know, what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat. And, and that balance, I think, along with portion control and and how you balance your plate has become mm-hmm. something that's gaining a little bit more traction out there in the communication, the nutrition world. Uh, I think there has to be more of that, obviously. Absolutely. And exactly what you're saying here. Uh, as far as, portion control any recommendations you'd make for balancing out a plate you talked about snack versus what a meal is and i completely agree it's just the size the difference and it's different for everyone And i Mm -hmm. think a, a lot of the problem is we sit down and eat and we eat very quickly and we eat a lot and we're in social gatherings and before you know it before your brain can tell you to stop you know, you're you're deep in already and it's a little late and then, you know, it, it leads to the next meal and the next meal. So absolutely. Can you talk to us a little bit about portion control and you know, what you say to your clients as far as controlling portions? Yeah.
1: So the first piece is to understand that if we're eating foods with nutrition and vitamins and minerals, the portions will likely to a great degree, take care of themselves. It's when we're eating processed foods and foods with chemicals, they actually have mechanisms that turn off our brain's ability to know when we're full and packaged foods and processed foods are often designed that way. Like I can't remember, was it Pringles? So it was like, once you pop, you can't stop oh, or get it. Right. <laughs> like you can't have just one, yeah. like that's chemical. It's not you. There's nothing wrong with you. So first of all, if we backtrack to eating clean, real food, a lot of times the portions take care of themselves. And I think because of the diet world, a lot of people aren't actually eating enough or eating enough of the things that provide us with, you know, nutrients. So typically I start there and then, you know, nuts become a big thing where people are like, Oh, I'm eating too many nuts. Like, if we're at a place where what's causing your health issues is too many nuts, like we're in a really good spot. So I always say, you know, keep it in perspective. Like let's not jump off the deep end, you know, but because I know everybody wants this. So, um, proper portion of protein. We were always taught that it was like three ounces, right? The palm of your hand truth is a proper portion for a female at a meal is about four to six ounces. So almost twice what we've been told. So really like your whole hand, not just the palm of your hand. And for men, it's about six to eight ounces at a meal. Snacks for everybody are more like two to three ounces. Um, and then what we teach the kids in our kids programs: so like if you put your two hands together, like the edges of your pinkies and palms next to each other, two hands that's how many vegetables we want on our plate. One hand is protein and a fist is grain, whole grain. Good. So that helps, you Easy know, to remember,
0: Yeah, and good visual on that. I was going to say, you talked a
2: lot about, you know, protein and we got kind of get into different macronutrients and, mm-hmm. you know, some some get demonized, you know, carbohydrates being one of them, you know, in in terms of you know not eating too many carbs. So can you walk us through? And this is a loaded topic, and we could probably go on forever. But just macronutrient balance uh, of kind of you kind of mentioned certain portions of your plate being certain macronutrients and and having some portion control there. You know, are there certain? you kind of mentioned protein. Can you walk us through? I guess the carbohydrate balance a little bit more, um, what a good carb is, what a bad carb is, and and really talk us through whether carbs are truly the enemy.
1: Yeah, this is such a great question because carbs, for everybody out there, carbs are not the enemy, (laughs) right? It's what kind of carbs we're choosing to eat. So realize um, when we've heard of all these low-carb, no-carb diets, whenever we cut something out entirely from our diet and using diet in the phrase of everything we eat, it's our body will actually stop being able to process those foods. So we don't want to entirely cut out for extended periods of time, entire food groups. Our body adapts and then no longer can process those foods. Um, When it comes to understanding quality carbohydrates, it's really about nutrients and fiber. So carbohydrates in general are a preferred form of fuel for the body. How we get those carbohydrates impacts how those carbohydrates impact our body. So if we're eating things like sugar, candy, a lot of protein bars that are more like, you know, candy bars, it gives us that fuel very quickly, quickly spikes our blood sugar. When our blood sugar is too high, we're storing fat. And that fuel, because it's released so quickly into our bloodstream – our body uses it up very quickly and then we're hungry again, right? It's kind of that idea of when people eat cereal or a bagel for breakfast, it lasts us a little while. And then we're hungry again, mid morning,
0: right? So these are the simple carbs.
1: Exactly. So we want to focus on choosing carbohydrates that are high in fiber. I call fiber like the scrubbing bubbles of our intestines. So fiber is critically important for our overall health, our gut health, um, And it slows down that release of fuel into our body. And that becomes critical for maintaining even energy, avoiding those spikes and falls in both our energy, our blood sugar, and therefore are we burning fat or are we storing fat? So when we choose carbohydrates, focus on that which are providing high fiber and high vitamins and minerals and nutrients. So I focus on vegetables and fruit as our preferred forms of carbohydrates. A lot of times when we think of carbohydrates, we think of it synonymous with what's really grains, which is rice and cereal and bread and all of those kinds of things. So when we choose those, we want them to make sure that they're actually whole grain. So, and this goes into a whole other thing of how do we read labels (laughs) because it can say whole grain on the front of the package, even if it's not. So really reading the ingredients and, um, choosing whole or sprouted grains when we eat them. I like to tell people, going back to the portion thing, our carbohydrates are coming from vegetables and fruit. Grains can be more like a condiment rather than a side dish. So if we think about it more in terms of like other condiments that we use, like ketchup, mustard, salad dressing, right? They're there for added flavor, maybe some texture and some interest, but it's not a food group. The idea of grains being a food group is based on like that food pyramid that we all grew up with, which is actually based on economics and not nutrition.
0: No. And your example earlier of just portion size. And when you showed me the portion size, of grain was really small. When you think that, that size is really small and an important, you know, fact there as far as it's not, it shouldn't be a main food group, but that, that triangle that we all recall and remember right. that we know is so wrong uh, in the in good eating quality today's world uh, was talking to the grains and those are mm-hmm. things we call complex carbohydrates. The body needs carbohydrates mm-hmm. and we treat a fair amount of athletes here and you hear them doing this diet or that diet. It's just like, if you're a high level athlete, you need carbs, your body's burning carbs. Can you talk to us a little bit how you deal with your athletes and yeah,
1: discussions around it,
0: that? Yeah, it's
1: really, again, it's really important about differentiating between carbs as you know, a generic category and where those carbs are coming from. Because the average American eats more grain than an Olympic athlete is advised to eat on race day. So when it comes to fueling a marathon or, you know, an athletic event, the fuel for that event is a little different, certainly, right? We want those carbohydrates more easily accessible to the body for that day or some of those training days. But on average, to properly fuel our body and to give our body everything it needs, and you can certainly run, you know, great distances without – a bowl of pasta, right? Like we can actually properly fuel with protein and vegetables and fruit. And so again, it comes down to where are we getting those carbohydrates? If we can get our carbohydrates from vegetables and fruit and then a little bit of grain here and there, we're providing our body the proper fuel to support that energy and that activity. And then we can certainly add some of those other carbohydrates that we typically think of when we're specifically fueling an event.
2: The other important piece is we've talked a lot about the, the micronutrients, protein, carbs, fat. Um, I'm sorry, the macronutrients, but micronutrients are important. Phytochemicals are important. Antioxidants are important. And most of them are going to come from the colorful food that's on our plate. And most of that comes from that carbohydrate realm, whether it be fruits or vegetables. So Jenna, there's certain vegetables or fruits that you prefer. Do you do it seasonally based on the part, part of the country people live? Like, How do you help people navigate what fruits and what vegetables? Because there's so many options out there.
1: Yeah. I say, first of all, start with what you like, start with what you'll eat. Local is king. Absolutely. At the same time, you can get into details of what's happening in your body with different fruits and vegetables. But in general, I try to stay away from getting into that nitty gritty because I think for the most part, people aren't eating enough. And so before we start to tell you, oh, eat honeydew over cantaloupe, like eat the fruit over the candy bar or the fruit snacks or the other things out there. I think there's a progression in terms of the decisions that we make and the way we approach it. Um, and you could, you know, even get into the idea that the ripeness of a banana impacts, you know, how our body process it processes it. So we can certainly get into nitty gritty, but I want to caution everybody like don't drive yourself crazy. If you like a vegetable, eat it. If you don't like it, Don't at first, there is some science around, um, how many times we have to taste a food before we know if we actually like it. And our taste buds certainly adjust with time and life and other things that we're eating. So try things again, try it cooked a different way, try it with a different sauce, try it, you know, especially with kids, put some cheese on it, um, hide it in things so that we can get all those extra vegetables in there.
0: What's that magic number?
1: Right. I have to go back. It's something like 139 times. It's insane.
0: Keep going, Zach, with your kid. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot. That's a great point you brought up as far as choosing the foods that you really like to eat and eating more of them if they're Mm -hmm. healthy. You spoke earlier about, you know, picking the right balance on your plate. uh, And, you know, we talked about fruits and vegetables. And to your point, if you like strawberries eat strawberries if you like bananas eat stra- eat bananas there's you know the sugar content varies in them eventually you can kind of learn more about that but eat what's what you enjoy eating and i think that's the key probably to success with, you know, managing a healthy, you know, nutritional balance and what you put in your body. Is there ever a time when you're working with clients where you're hitting that resistance? What kind of barriers do you see when you're working with clients? Give us some tidbits here on how to work through this. and Yeah.
1: My favorite is, so I had a client, this was probably 10 plus years ago. And I think the biggest thing that comes out of this is realizing everybody's starting from a different place. So her starting point was eating a lot of fast food and growing up on not really having meals prepared and not really having fresh food and drinking only soda all day long. So her taste buds were in a place where, of course, vegetables didn't taste good. And of course, she didn't even know, she thought she didn't like anything, but she didn't really know she just thought she didn't like all these foods because she had never really eaten them much and couldn't really figure out how to make them taste like the processed things that she was used to eating. So I think a big piece of it is just realizing where we're starting from and that our taste buds will adjust over time. So the more we eat some of these healthful foods, the better they're gonna taste. So if at first it's not so great, give it another shot. Um, oftentimes we'll start with a gentle detox or a fruit vegetable, I hate to use this word, but cleanse. Um, And it's not that kind of don't eat anything, just drink, green juice. Like that's not it at all. You have to eat. (laughs) Um, But that can actually reset your taste buds. So sweet, salt, and fat are acquired tastes, which means not only do we learn that they taste good, but our taste buds adapt to them. So you know those people who start off with like one sweetener in their coffee and then before you know it, they're like three or four of those packets? It's because their taste buds adjust. And so what once tasted sweet now doesn't taste sweet anymore and it has to be even sweeter to register as sweet. So a lot of times I'll get people who are like, well, I eat these five vegetables like, cool, let's start there. And then every week we're talking about what's one new thing that you're going to try at the grocery store. And then we tend to get into these ruts, right? Even if somebody eats a ton of vegetables and loves them and eats them all the time, we get into that habit of what we buy every week So, sometimes we'll go through a food list and I'll say, you know, highlight everything on this list that you're willing to eat. And then go back and star the things that you haven't had in a while. And then that becomes your grocery list. So that it's helping us sort of get into that variety thing because our body responds better to variety. Our body, both, you know, within a meal day to day, week to week, you know, our body can use some variety. It's actually helpful both to feel satisfied and, you know, to give our body everything that it needs.
0: We had such a great discussion today with Jen. We're going to split this episode into two parts. This will be the end of the first part. Please stay tuned for the second episode.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Optimal Health Uncovered. If you have questions for us or want to hear about something specific in an upcoming episode, Send an email to podcast at performance-pt.com and be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for more tips on optimal health. Until next time, be well.